Well, good morning. I am uh, Robert Kelly, one of the pastors here. I'm gonna need about six or eight volunteers to help me with, we're gonna recreate this in Eisenhower Park. And so, um, uh, I'm so glad you're here to join us for our Pokemon Grow series. Uh, you can really think about this series as an extended parable, an, a, an attempt by us to take one of the uh, biggest cultural phenomena of the last couple of months and uh, try to figure out what it is that's drawing so many people into it. What part of it is awakening us in some way that's getting people all excited to do all this stuff and to, you know, crash the uh, internet with its, you know, high demands and downloads and all this. What's causing that, that that also reveals a little bit about human nature and helps us take some of the, the scriptural principles that we've been learning from the Bible and figure out how that makes us tick and hopefully through that figure out how we continue to grow in our Christian lives. And so as we continue in our extended parable, we're going to be asking the question today, exploring it from a few different angles. What is success? Now, of course, everyone will tell us what we need to do to succeed. Everyone has an idea. Parents will tell their kids, you got to work hard. You got to play nice. You got to stand up for yourself. You got to make friends. You have to love your parents, of course. You have to remember to visit us when we're old. And you have to promise not to stick us in a nursing home. You got it? If you do that, you've succeeded as a child. Teachers will tell us, work hard, study, do your homework, get good grades, go to college, get good jobs so that we can become homeowners. Why? So we can pay taxes and hire more teachers. You know, this is a system. It works. We become good students if we do this. Employers will offer you critique and feedback and training. So the bottom line of the business is better. Why do they want it better? So they can get raises. And so hopefully you can get raises. And we can continue to create this cycle and succeed. Succeeding in life seems to be the goal that is set out before us from the cradle and it will chase us to the grave. And in anything that you are pursuing, you have to get a picture in your head about what success would look like. It's key. So to succeed at Pokemon Go, one has to collect as many of the Pokemon as you can, and you have to develop them. This is a person, this is the world record holder for owner of the most Pokemon crap known. <laughs> very, very impressive accomplishment, I'm sure. Now, in the game, there are all sorts of like battles and other stuff that you do. But the most defining aspect of the game is that you have to find and evolve these Pokemon, the pocket monsters. And then, as you find more of them, you collect more of them, you develop them, you evolve them, then they will help you in your later battles. You'll become more powerful in that game. So, what does success in life look like? That's success in Pokemon Go. In life, how do you succeed? What are the achievements that you need to unlock the quests that you need to complete. Now, obviously, the world has its own set of criteria that you are already well uh, immersed in. 
And I hope maybe you've tried it long enough to begin to question whether or not those criteria really work. Because if you have, then you're starting to look for another answer. You're looking for another definition of success. And the Bible offers us a very simple recipe for success. Simple enough to understand, takes a lifetime to implement. And it will give you success in this life and in the life to come. Simply put, it is to trust in Christ and pursue Christian values. That's what it is. You trust in Christ for salvation and you pursue the Christian virtues, the values of the Christian life, the virtues of the Christian life. And that's what we're looking at today in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. If you could open up in a Bible, that would be great. And just keep it open here for the, the remainder of the morning because uh, we, we're going to be jumping in and out of the text and covering a whole lot of the different uh, chapters and a bunch of the different verses, but we're going to be kind of in and out of it uh, pretty rapidly. So keep it open if you would. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And we're going to see that developing Christian virtue is the pathway to genuine success in life. Developing Christian virtue is the pathway to genuine success in life. Now, these virtues go by many different names. Now, we've been using for the, this series the metaphor called fruit of the spirit, which we picked up at the first week in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let's repeat that together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is great to commit to memory. We read it out loud together to help it kind of sink in. You can hear it. You can sense it. It's got to get in your head and in your heart. These are the fruit of the Spirit, Christian virtues. And the development of these fruit of the Spirit is one of the main goals of the Christian life. And so you could say that we are to be bearing fruit, bearing fruit. Take a look at verse 9 for me. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And here's the key verse here so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. I mean, that sounds like a recipe for success to me. Think about those two ideas. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. How would you like to end your life knowing you had done that? That the creator of the universe would look at your life and say, yes, you accomplished those two things. I want you to turn to the person on your side and say, live a life worthy of the Lord. Tell them that's what they're supposed to do. Now turn to the person on your other side and say, please him in every way. See, you've now been told, unless you were sitting on the edge, which is weird. If you were on the edge and you told the wall, that's just odd. Uh, but if that's what, you know, it, this is what you've been told, and that's what Paul is telling us. He's saying, listen, that's the recipe for success. That's what you're going after here. And then he summarizes it here with bearing fruit. Do you see that? Please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing 
in the knowledge of God. He picks up this exact same idea in verse 28. He says, here is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. If you're a note taker or underliner in your Bible, you can underline that right there. You're fully mature in Christ. That's where we're heading. That's what we hope to accomplish because developing Christian virtue will be the pathway to genuine and lasting success in life. But of course, as you would expect, there are many forces that work against us as we are trying to develop Christian virtues. Of course, that would be the case. We see this in the gaming world, right? There's often an enemy. In many, many of the games that we play, there's some sort of a dark force that is trying to thwart your efforts. So yesterday was uh, Fun Fest. I hope you guys came out. Fun Fest was an absolutely great day. We had beautiful weather. The team, you guys did amazing. It was a great, great event. And afterwards, we were doing some cleanup, and um, I was uh, downstairs, and some of the kids were playing on the uh, Pac-Man machine. So, you know, we got that big-size Pac-Man machine. Well, there's a lot of games in there. It's like a multi you know, a multi-game arcade game. I don't know if you, have, if you haven't been down to Kids Quest, you don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, the kids know what I'm talking about. Anyway, there's, there's, so we go down there, there's this game, and one of the games that's on that system is Galaga. Anybody remember Galaga? All right, so I took, I, I played Galaga yesterday while everybody else was cleaning up. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I crushed the high score. Crushed it. I, 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 four times the high score. No one is going to touch my high score. I am now the Galaga king. I like, it was level some crazy. It was great. I did fantastic. So, of course, what I accomplished in those moments is I crushed the evil aliens. I actually defended the planet. I saved the universe, and I think I got the girl because that's, what is, that's what's supposed to happen. You know, this is what we're doing. We're fighting against the dark forces. Now, in Pokemon Go... The main obstacle is that the Pokemon hide and you need to find them. But in the broader universe of Pokemon, there are dark forces. There are insidious forces working against us. There are Pokemon villains. If anybody remembers the anime, you'll remember the, the main villain of the Pokemon in the Pokemon world. Anybody know who they are? Who? Team Rocket. Team Rocket, man. They don't look very bad, but they are bad. Like, you know, they look like, like whatever. But, you know, this is, they were, they're really bad, bad dudes. And so, of course, there's all sorts of villains in the Pokemon universe. And look at verse 13 of Colossians 1. Verse 13, he says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's a dominion of darkness out there. This is real. It's true. It's actually the way. Why are these, these ideas so compelling? Why are shows like this, TV shows and movies and video games, why are they so compelling to us when we fight against them? Because it's actually a, a reflection of the way the universe is really running. There is a dark force that works against us. It is the dominion of darkness through which we, because of the redemption we have and the forgiveness of sins, can pierce light into it. There are two dark forces that are highlighted in Colossians. 
uh, as, that are working against the Christians in this city of Colossae. There's the internal darkness, their own evil behavior, their own evil behavior. Look at verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You can catch a little bit of a dilemma that happens elsewhere in the scriptures right here in this text. He says, listen, your own evil behavior is a serious problem. You need to work on this. You need to deal with this. You need to get rid of this evil behavior. It's a dark force that's working within you. Now, here's the thing. He also says that we're blameless in Christ. This is a, this is a tough dilemma for us. He's saying, you've already received the righteousness of Christ. You're holy and you're blameless in him. And we read that and we go, it's a nice thought, but I'm not. I actually know what goes on in my own heart and in my own mind. I hope to be, I wish to be, I hope, I long for it one day, but I'm not now. And Paul is telling us this, these two truths. He's saying, God has already declared you righteous in his sight. He's taken your sin and put it on Christ. He's taken his righteousness and put it on you, which explains why it is that God's primary disposition toward us is love. Because when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ given to us as a free gift because of the cross, because of his love. And now Paul goes on to say, and he goes, that should be a big motivator for you so that you no longer live like the old man that you were. That's the carcass of you. That's the old way. That's the flesh. That's of the evil world. That's of the dark world. That's in your heart. But it isn't to command you anymore. It's not supposed to have dominion over you. So be rid of those things and live according to who you have already been promised to be. That's the promise he gives us here. And it's amazing. That's why he tells us in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Colossians 3, 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. He categorizes a couple of these dark forces. He says, listen, there's sexual immorality out there. He links, lumps them together, impurity, lust, evil desires. And he says, listen, this is a big deal. And throughout his writings, he continually warns us against sexual immorality, which shows me that the early church continued to struggle in differentiating itself from the sexual norms of the world and the culture around it, which feels exactly like the struggle that we are facing today. I think this could have been written to us today as at least as applicably as it was written to them. We don't even get it anymore. The norms of this world, the sexual norms of this world are so far removed from God's norms that he has to keep reminding us over and over and over again. Sex outside of marriage is wrong. And then we have to start to ask ourselves, what is sexual activity? It used to be we didn't have to ask ourselves. Everybody knew what it was. We, we would understand what sex. Nowadays, you don't. 
because we've, uh, we, we've redefined these things and we say all of this stuff is acceptable, but this particular thing isn't acceptable, and, and on and on we go. Nowadays, we have to define it. So, and I struggle with trying to define it without being legalistic and trying to get crazy, but I, and I've tried for years to come up with all different ways to help you guys sort of understand what sex really is. So here I go. Here's another attempt. Let's try it again. Sexual activity. What is it? How, do, how does it qualify as sex? If you can't do it in public with your mom watching, <laughs> it's probably sex, almost certainly. And it is forbidden outside of marriage. Greed and idolatry. Talks, this is the desire to possess things at all costs, to choose things over people. Of course, we see this with money and we see it with stuff. We want more of it. We collect more of it. We strive for it and we make it an idol. But it's also, you can be greedy in other ways. You know, there's so often times that I simply cannot connect with my neighbors. I can't help them out. I see them doing some project in their front yard or something like that. And I don't even help them out because I am greedy for my time. I want to spend it on me and on my stuff. We had a new neighbor move in. One neighbor moved out. There's like two houses down, right? And you know what you're supposed to do when a new neighbor moves in, right? Be friendly, neighborly, go over there, bring them some cake or whatever you're supposed to do, right? Great. Yeah, no, haven't done that. In fact, they've been out in the yard quite a few times now, and I, I try to make it like I can't see them because I'm like, you know, if I have to go over there, and now i got to start the whole thing, and if he says hi to me first, them and greet them, and so now it's becoming really awkward because it's gone on so long. I mean, I've been there probably over a month, and I'm still, uh, like, avoiding them because I'm greedy for my time. This is sin, and we need to repent of it. And what do you think about it? Why he says greed, which is idolatry, it makes perfect sense now because we're, we're taking all of these things and we're putting ourselves at the center of it. These things are at the center of our existence, or me and my time and my stuff, it's all at the center, which makes me the center of my universe. Idolatry, when God ought to be the center of my universe. Anger, he goes into this list. Rage, malice, slander, filthy language. The ferocity of lashing out at people, of putting them in their place. The plotting sort of thoughts that we have. The little ways we drop an innuendo or an insinuation about someone. Not openly going to tear them down, but you know, we can raise our eyebrows in just that way and we can say, well, you know, there's that thing, but you know, I can't really talk about it. You know, we can drop the little breadcrumbs along the way so that we can help form negative opinions about the people that we work with or that are in our families or around us. This is at the heart of it. It's this anger and this rage and it has no place in the Christian life. It talks about lying. Can't be lying, even though it's what our politicians are well versed in. You know, this whole fiasco unfolding in the country, it's pretty crazy. Now, there are websites, you've probably seen these if you're watching any of this, fact-checking websites, entire websites, teams of people dedicated to find out just how badly you've been lied to. What, how does this make any sense? This feels like it's like an like a article in The Onion. You know, it should be funny, it should be a parody, and it would be very funny if it weren't actually so true. They're like, oh yeah, they lied about 80% of the time in that. I'm like, what? Should they be like taken out back and beaten? Like what happens when you lie that much? Like something should happen. But of course, this is now the air we breathe and we all struggle in these same areas. That's one whole, era, whole, whole uh, threat. Now the other force, the dark force is rigorous religiosity. Rigorous religiosity. And this is the other side of the spectrum, kind of the other extreme. This is when we're told you gotta obey those rules and all will be good. If you hold our particular beliefs, all will be good. If you trust our mystical beliefs, then all will be good with you. 
And you don't have to worry about anything else. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Or look at verse 16, chapter 2. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual minds. Look at verse 21. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. He's talking about some form of mystical Judaism here. Lots of rules, access to secret knowledge, and if you do these things, everything will be good. And we will often see this in religion today. You know, some people follow very strict religious rules. Their churches and their leaders will tell them what they, how they're supposed to dress and what they can wear. And you can't be having no jewelry, you know, at church. They tell women, you know, you, you can't be wearing pants to church. You know, you got to wear dresses and skirts. You can't, you know, you don't wear makeup. And there's, you know, there's all of these rules that they create in order to make you look holy. And this happens in so many different traditions. Don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't chew. Don't go with girls who do. That was one I grew up with. Don't dance. That was a really popular one. You know why it is that Baptists don't like sex? Because it might lead to dancing. So I was, it's an old Baptist joke, sorry. Uh, if you're Baptist here. You know, others will tell you that if you eat the magic cracker, all will be good with your soul. If you say these incantations or if you pray these beads... If you make a pilgrimage to these holy sites, everything will be good with you. Now, these two dark forces, these challenges are significant, and we have to avoid plunging into either of these extremes. And in order to counter these dark forces, you need the cultivation of the fruit of the Spirit, the love and joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, and self-control. How do you do it? You make the most of every opportunity. That's how you do it. It's as straightforward as you can imagine. Look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. And here's the key phrase. You can underline this. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, one of the most addictive parts of Pokemon Go is that you can catch them wherever you are. So whenever and wherever you're walking around, you're doing something, you're like, oh, look, there's one. And you can try to catch them wherever, any time in life. You do it in the midst. You play this game in the midst of your regular life, which is very compelling to a lot of people. And they show up in very funny places. You know, like here's a Pokemon showing up at a wedding. 
you know? So you're out there taking a picture, nice, on the wing of an airplane. You know, they show up wherever you happen to be. In a, that's just horrible. And of course, when this takes place, it gives you a sensation of still being engaged in it. So no matter where it is, good moments and bad moments, appropriate moments and inappropriate moments, these Pokemon can show up, which means you can engage with this wherever and whenever, a very compelling part of the game. In an article in, on, on uh, the TED website called The Neuroscience of Pokemon 2, they say that the game is one continuous novel playscape. Our brains love novelty, reward pathways that are accessed when we experience new things. And in the case of Pokemon Go, you're experiencing new things every single time you play the game, and that drives you to go to new locations so you can find new Pokemon. It makes perfect sense. LA Magazine. They said that Pokemon Go is hijacking your brain's reward systems. You know, those little neuron groups that make you experience pleasure and positive reinforcements. They're the reason drugs are so addictive and junk food makes us feel so good. According to uh, Ellen Baraholtz, PhD, Associate Press, uh, Professor, Center of Complex Systems and Brain Sciences, she says that augmented and virtual reality games have created a dangerous path by offering a far more rewarding alternative to reality. And what I'm saying is, it isn't a more compelling version than reality. Because we have this reality happening every single day. We have opportunities to capture and develop the fruit of the Spirit every day. And it's really the only way it will happen for you. You know, what do you think? You think that one day you're going to be like, God, I really want to grow in patience. I really want to grow in patience. And God says, here, Billy, here's a little patience. Sprinkle you know, fairy dust on you. And you're like, wow, I feel more patient today. You know how God develops patience in you? He surrounds you with jerks. <laughs> That's what he does. He gathers them all up. He puts them all around you. He's like, great, you want patience. Here we go. And so he surrounds you with these people, and all of a sudden you're like, I have an opportunity right here in the midst of everyday life to seize patience, to capture that fruit of the Spirit, and to develop it, to evolve it. You know, people look at this and they're like, I really need self-control. I've been struggling in my whole life with all of these things. You know, God, just, just give me self-control. He doesn't do that. He doesn't just walk out there and be like, all right, now you have self-control. We would just line up. We'd be like, all right, I want this. We'd do a checklist. And there'd be no effort. There'd be no work. There would be no muscle development in the soul by doing that. We want self-control. You know how you're going to get it. You're going to be tempted. That's what happens. And every time you are tempted, you have a unique opportunity to capture self-control, to develop it, to enhance it, to grow it. And this is such a powerful truth because so many of us, you know, suddenly we're, we're wondering, what just happened? I don't understand, man. I was out with the guys and suddenly I had a beer and then it was two and then it was six and I don't know what happened. My wife, she's, you know, I don't know what took place. My kids, I don't... You, what happened? How did this just take place? All of a sudden, boom, like that, it was out of the blue. I don't know what happened. Suddenly, I'm out with my secretary, and I'm flirting, and I'm saying things I shouldn't be saying. My wife, if she saw it, she'd kill me. It just came out of the blue. Really? You passed up a thousand opportunities at self-control before that. Yeah, you're not ready. God, you tempted me beyond what I can bear. It's his fault. Really, that's what happened? You passed up a thousand opportunities to catch self-control, to develop self-control, so you're not ready when the battle comes. 
But this is an important part for each and every one of us. The love and the joy and the peace and the patience, gentleness, the goodness, kindness, self-control, all of it. It's key. It is essential for us if we are going to continue to develop the fruit of the Spirit in every situation, in every circumstance that, you, that presents itself, you will have ample opportunity to capture the fruit of the Spirit. Every conversation, imagine that. Imagine if you went into everyday life knowing that great truth. You're in the game every moment of the day. There's not spiritual moments and unspiritual moments of your day. Every day is a spiritual moment. Every opportunity presents itself. That means when you're out there and you get surrounded by all of those people and you're at work and the gossip, you know, rumor mill is starting to go, you have an opportunity right there and then to develop the fruit of the Spirit. Will you? Every time you get in your car and you drive, New York is a, it's a wonderful place to develop the fruit of the Spirit <laughs> when you're driving. It's just great. There's so many opportunities to do it. You know, when you come home and you're tough and you're tired of rough week at work and the kids are there and now you have an opportunity, what are you going to do? How is that anger going to come out or not come out? What are the very things that get you angry? What should be getting you angry? These are constant conversations that we can have in order to develop the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what we're hoping for because that is where you will have real success. Would you guys, would you just bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we're asking that you, Father, would do this amazing work in our hearts. This is what we want, Lord. We want to become the kinds of people, the men and the women, who will seize every opportunity. We will make the most of every opportunity to continue to press deeper into, the, into these fruit. We want to be marked by these things more and more and more, Lord. And so we're just praying, Father, that you would make it so. Help us to be aware. Give us the spiritual eyes to see the insight we need to see it happening all around us, Lord. That's what we're asking you to do. Help us be aware. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.